But I wanted to start us off with a, it's a story, um, it's a plot of a movie. And there was a young man, he was a, he had many brothers, who has, who has a lot of family in here. I come from a big family. Um, he had a lot of brothers. But these brothers, like the problem with this relationship was, he was the favorite. Does anybody in a big family know who the favorite child was? I was the favorite child. But... Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you back there. <laughs> um, but he was the favorite of all the kids. And his dad showed appreciation with giving him special gifts that he never got, gave anybody else. So what happens when there's favoritism? Jealousy comes of, it, involved. Yeah, how many of you have been a jealous sibling before? Yeah, I've been that too. I've been that too. So, so the... All the, all the brothers devise a plan in order to get rid of this guy. He's like, he's got to go. So they sold him. They sold him into slavery. Okay, so, so the brothers all get together and sell this man into slavery. So they wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. But this was all part of a greater story. This was all a part of God's story. And so when the brothers sold him into slavery, they didn't know that it was their salvation in the future. There's a lot of stories kind of like that. Who knows a story kind of off the top of your head, brothers doing something stupid, and then the redemption comes at the end. There's a lot of movies are based off of that. But this is a story out of the Bible. It's a story out of the Old Testament. It's the story of Joseph. And the story of his brother selling him to the Egyptians and then him working his way up from a slave to over everything in Egypt. He was second in command to Pharaoh. So in, his vision, in Pharaoh's visions, there was problems in the future for Egypt. There was going to be a famine. So what Joseph did was Joseph told Pharaoh, there's going to be seven years of plenty. Store all you can. And then there's going to be seven years of famine, and we'll have enough to survive. So, so he, they did that. Well, what happens during the famine? All these brothers show up at this guy's doorstep and says, hey, we need food, not knowing it was his brother. So the story goes on. It's a story of grace. I, I recommend everyone reading it. But that sets us up for the story today. This is the story out of Genesis and so if we can turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 1. This is not my main passage this morning, but in the hermeneutics class, hermeneutics class that Jacob taught, it, it teaches you to do historical analysis for a passage. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk a little deeper than normal through the historical analysis of this passage in order that we may gain understanding into what I'm, what I'm going to share with us this morning. So once, once Joseph invited his family back to Egypt, where there was plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of, of facilities for them to stay, this is what Exodus chapter 1 says in verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the lands were filled with them. So here are these, here's the Israelites in a foreign land, 
and they fulfilled God's commandment to be fruitful and multiply, and they increased greatly. But here's the problem in verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So a new joker rolls into town, a new king of Egypt, and issues arise. It's almost like sometimes when a new boss comes into your workplace, there's going to be turnover more than likely. Um, or you, you talk about football. We like football, uh, most of us. And so when a new head coach comes in, turnover happens. Oh, they want their quarterback and all, all sorts of stuff like that. So, but turnover is going to happen. And when this turnover happened, it was bad for the nation of Israel. And so the nation of Israel was God's chosen people, yeah? And so when, when that happened, God wasn't happy. So, so God rose up a leader named Moses, and he, his plan was to set the people of Israel free. So listen to this story. Now, the greater scheme, let me take a step back. The greater scheme, he used Joseph for the nation of Israel to be blessed by the Egyptians, to come in under the nation of uh, Egypt and to be blessed. Now he's raising up Moses to remove the nation of Israel from Egypt. So sometimes in our lives, we work really hard for things, to build churches, to build facilities, whatever the ministry you're involved in, for a couple people down the road to tear it down. That, that should remind us something. Here's a free point for us today. That it's not about the actual work. It's about the, the ministry. It's about the glory of God. As long as his mission is being complete, we can set up walls and tear down walls all day long. Well, we just set it up. Why are we tearing it back down? Because it's for the glory of God. So that was a free point for us this morning. But that leads us to Exodus chapter 12, all right? You can turn with me there um, this morning. Exodus chapter 12. I promise you it all comes together here at the end. This is just the intro, so the end of the intro. Verses 21 through 23. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to the clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel to the two doorpost with the blood that is in the basin. None of you should go out of the door of the house until morning for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel, and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to enter into your house and strike you. So what does this mean? This was God's exit plan for the nation of Israel. Pharaoh said 11, there was 11 plagues before that. that and Pharaoh kept turning his back on God. He, they sent frogs, of, frogs, they sent locusts. They sent all different sorts of plagues to let his people go. All the water in Egypt turned to blood. Think about if all the water in Hilo turned to blood right now. People would be doing some crazy stuff. 
But even though Pharaoh knew the answer was God doing it to let his people go, Pharaoh still rebelled and said, no, we need these people. So, so God had this end goal in mind. It's, it was the Passover. God used, for the final plague, God used his people to kill a lamb and spread it on the doorpost. All right, so this is just the history of where we're going today. So from that point on, God used the Passover as a feast yearly for the nation of Israel. They would come together and celebrate that God passed over their houses in the nation of Egypt and let them go. All right, are we caught up? Are we, are we together? You can talk back. Say yeah. Amen. 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 All right. I'm still going at the same pace my son was going this morning, so um, bear with me. So this fast was a week-long fast. And as we, as we turn to the book of Luke, this is where our passage is going to be today, Luke 22. Jesus wanted to celebrate the Passover with his, with his 12 disciples. Jesus wanted to celebrate what God did in the nation of Israel 1,500 years earlier. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 22. We'll be, um, I'm going to start in verse 14, but on the screen it will be um, our primary passage, which is 19 through 20. So if you could stand with me in the reading of God's Word this morning. Verse 14 says this. This is not on the screen, but we'll get there. And when the hour came, he reclined at table. And the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have an earnest desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I, I tell you, I will not eat, eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my... this." Is, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, and saying, This is my body which is giving for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after it, after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at table. We'll just go on. For the Son of Man goes as, he is, as to be determined, but woe to the man whom, by whom he is betrayed. Lord, we thank you for these verses. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, this is not an um, easy message, but is one that's filled with grace and mercy and hope for the everlasting. Lord, so be with us as we have ears to hear this morning. May your gospel be made known to the people in this room. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So as we look at the Lord's Supper this morning, there's three symbolic truths that I want to portray out of the Lord's Supper. And the first one is this. 
It's a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us. It's a reminder of Christ's sacrifice for us. There's two elements inside the Lord's Supper. The first one is the bread. This represents the body of Christ Jesus that was broken for us on the cross. So when we take the bread and eat it, it it literally represents that the body was being broken on the cross. And that comes from verse 19. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we have the cup. We have the cup of, of juice, which represents the blood, which covers our sins. This is the same coverage that I read about earlier in Exodus. That because the, the Israelites covered their doorposts with the blood, the Passover lamb, I mean, the, uh, God passed over their houses and protected them from the destroyer. So as Jesus shed his blood for us, as his sides was pierced and he had nails in his hands, that blood that flowed out was coverage for us. Anybody that believes in Jesus, there is coverage, there's protection from the destroyer in that. And we see that in verse 20. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen, there's, it's important to realize that God used food as a good for this. God used food as an example because who doesn't like food? Yeah? Is anybody in here doesn't like food? No, we all enjoy food. Salvation is a good thing. It's, it's supposed to be joyous. It's supposed to be fulfilling. It's supposed to be our hope of life. That same with food. There is a great donut at KTA, and it's just a normal crispy cream light fluffy donut. It is delicious. I cannot buy them because I buy 12. But it's fulfilling. And when we have things like that in our lives, my mom just left. She makes a thing called taters and sausage. Who's had the taters and sausage before? Tell me it's not delicious. It's the best thing this side of heaven. I have that, and it's fulfilling. Well, Jesus uses bread and and the cup as a sign of fulfillment. He uses it that, that as we eat, as we intake the bread and the juice, it is supposed to bring nurturing to us. It also reminds us how far Jesus would go for you and me. Taking the Lord's Supper reminds us that God gave his very best to save undeserving people like you and me. Nobody that walked in here this morning was deserving of salvation. No one that walks this planet today is deserving of salvation. Oh, they're a good person, doesn't cut it. Because in their hearts, they're, as Ephesians says, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Romans says the same thing. But Jesus, upon the cross, by the breaking of his body and the pouring out of his blood, made a remedy for that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin 
so that we might become the righteousness of God. God left glory to come down and be sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, 5, By, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was cr- crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. It was only by the wounds of Jesus that we're healed. And then many of y'all know this by heart. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone, a.k.a. Christ, laid down his life for his friends. Listen, listen. Sometimes we can be harsh here. We, we deal with sin harshly here because it's not pleasing to God. But first and foremost, God loves you. Amen? God loves you immensely. God loves you enough to send his son, his only son, to die the death we should have died. God loves you. Also, his best is for you. He hopes you have the best life you can here. His best is for you. He loves his people. He loves his followers. And when by faith we trust in the Lord, then everything we face in life no longer becomes a burden. When we place all of our trust in God, we no longer, the things we face at life in general, my two-year-old that was running around like a crazy person this morning, becomes much less of a deal. Because my hope is in Christ. It's a beautiful thing. We also have assurance through that. We have assurance in by what he did by laying down his life for you and me. What he did on the cross was eternal. Once you trust in the cross, that faith is eternal. Which leads us to our second point. It's a testimony that proclaims Christ's love for us. Number two, it's a, it's a testimony that proclaims Christ's love for us. And so, as a testimony, there's three types of testimony it proclaims. Which ones? The first one of which is, it's our personal testimony. We get to share Jesus, that he rescued me from death to life. Ephesians 2 says, but God, being rich in mercy, raised me up to walk in the newness of life. Listen, if you can't find joy that God rescued you, rescued you from the dead, I don't know if I'd take the Lord's Supper today. There's some soul searching that needs to happen. You, if you can't find happiness in that he gave me new life, Look, he denied me in. We were just like the story of many kids in here. And as, as more families walk through the process of foster care in this congregation, we get to see this happen. He made me a child. He not only loved me, he, he not only brought me in, but he made me his child. He made me Ohana. 
That is one of the biggest privileges of being a follower of Christ, is that he welcomes, he just doesn't say you're in the kingdom, he welcomes us at his table. So it's a personal testimony. It proclaims that, that we are a new creation. He has promised me a place in heaven forever. But it also proclaims, the Lord's Supper also proclaims our corporate testimony. I have a question. How many of you in this room were saved in this, in, by this fellowship right here? Raise your hand. About half of the people in this room was saved through the ministry of this. If this church shut its doors today, it would have a lasting impact of, on Hilo because of the people it changed. It would have a lasting impact. Look, and if something happened, and I know I can say this for myself and Jacob, the people that have moved here recently to, to be a part of this, if we had to leave, you have made a lasting impact on my heart, on my life. I'm not the same person as I was when I came here, I tell you that. My language is a little bit different. My walk's a little bit different. My style's a little bit. I never thought I would have a Hawaii's finest t-shirt hanging in my closet, I'll tell you that. Or the 50 Aloha shirts that I have. But it proclaims the testimony of everybody in the church. Listen, I've, I've shared this before and I'll share it again. When I'm struggling with my faith, and yes, pastors struggle with their faith too. Sometimes we're, we're depressed. Sometimes we're down. Sometimes we really don't like to minister to people. When I struggle with my faith, I think of testimonies in this room. I think of the people and faces in this room. There's a series on YouTube. It's the Redemption Song. Back in the day. <laughs> but I go back and watch video testimonies of how lives were changed in this room. And so as we take the Lord's Supper together to, today, it proclaims that we are different. We are not the same. We are moving forward Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says this, 14 through 16, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of them two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. As most of you know, I'm white. I'm from the mainland. Shocking thing. But I was so blessed through this fellowship because there can be hostility there. There can be hostility through racial tensions. But as we are one in Christ, 
I don't experience that. I experience that other places. I promise you I do. But in this fellowship, there ain't nothing. We are all children of God. I love you like my own. And you love me like your own. I know that for a fact. Or at least some of you do. The others we'll work on later. But, <laughs> but we are a family. So how often, how often are we supposed to do this as a family? Take the Lord's Supper. It, the scripture says this. Because it's a reminder that we, we no longer have hostility to one another. It's a reminder of what Christ has done. And it's a reminder of what Christ is still doing through this fellowship. So as we think of Kahuzik and the nation of Japan, that is part of our corporate testimony. As we think back to all the facilities we've been a part of over the years, that's part of our corporate testimony. As we think about the people we've lost... For good reasons, Tommy and Rachel, of those that remember him, them, that couple, Jude, um, all those people, even Sheldon Ogata, that's part of our corporate testimony. So it says this, how many times should we take the Lord's Supper? And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, it says this, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord until he comes. So as, as often as we do it, for us, we do it once a month. We do it on the last Sunday of the month. That's, our, that's how we've designed our, our scheduling. And if the, Lord, if the Holy Spirit tells us, hey, you're doing the Lord's Supper this week, guess what we do? We do the Lord's Supper that week. Because it proclaims our testimony. It proclaims our corporate testimony. But more than that, bigger than all of this, it proclaims God's testimony. And I know I've been in a lot in the Old Testament today. But when you find Ono stuff, you just keep on going, yeah? So, Genesis 22. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to summarize it. But Genesis 22 is the story of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel. So we talked about the nation of Israel earlier. But Father Abraham was sent. He was promised a son. He was promised a son when he was 90 years old. And it didn't come to pass until he was 99. So this son that he had, God told him, go up to the mountain and sacrifice this, this son. How many of you have sons? How easy would, would, would those words be from God to go and sacrifice your son? But he, was, he believed the promise that God had given him. He even took, as they walked to this mountain, he took a servant boy with him to help him carry the wood and the fire. And then he told the servant boy, stay right here, we'll be back. He said, we will be back. Abraham believed the promise that much. As they walked up the mountain, the son was like, father, father, we have the wood, we have the, the fire. Where is the lamb? And he says, God, don't worry, son, God will provide the lamb. 
And it went all the way to where Abraham strapped Isaac down to the altar and he raised the knife back to slaughter his son because he was trying to be faithful to God. But God stopped him. The Holy Spirit stopped him in the instant and said, no, because you have loved well, you, you have loved your only begotten, I will provide a ram. And as, at that time, Abraham looked up and there was a ram in the thicket. But I think there's, a, there's an important distinction. This whole time, Abraham said, sacrifice a lamb, sacrifice a lamb, sacrifice a lamb. But there was a ram in the thicket. It made do, but it wasn't the important one. The important one was in the future. So even as it proclaims God's testimony that the Lamb of Genesis 22, the Lamb of the Passover, was all, all combined in Jesus Christ. He was the eternal Lamb of God. That is what Jesus is saying. This is my blood that's the new covenant poured out for you. This is how Scripture is so interwoven together that the, the passage to, uh, 1,500 years before when Abraham was up on a mountain and God said, no, I will provide a lamb. It didn't happen until later. And then Jesus came and provided the eternal lamb. So everyone that falls under the eternal lamb of Jesus has protection, and is promised eternal life. And then lastly, number three, it's an opportunity to examine Christ in us. First Corinthians 11, 27 through 32 says this. Whomever therefore eats the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without dis, uh, dis, discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not condemn, be condemned along with the world. So this is how we were supposed to take place in the, the Lord's Supper. There's two, two groups of people in here, and the same groups of people are applied in this room right now. The first one are the believers. The first group is the believers. The second group are the non-believers. If you are a believer in this room and you've heard this, your role is to know God and to walk intimately with God. Your role in life as a believer is not to build big buildings or not to build big things. Your goal is to know God. 
So as the believer, as it's commanded, we are supposed to do a couple things. We must examine ourselves before taking the Lord's Supper. It also says, do not take if you have unconfessed sin in your heart. It says, do not, you're drinking judgment upon yourself. It says you can get sick and die if you take it in an unworthy manner. Or if you have issues with another brother and sister in this room. Before you take it, I would suggest you fix that junk. I I would say fix it. Go to that brother and sister right now or during the response time. And then secondly, we see the non-believer. Partaking in the elements is no significance to you. There's no meaning. It's going to be bread and grape juice. There's no eternal consequences because if you're not a believer, you're going to spend eternity apart from Christ. But that's not my hope for you. My hope for you is that you would trust Jesus. My hope for you is that you would, that you would at this instant, trust Jesus this morning. You see, Christ came because the lamb that was provided in, or the ram that was provided in Genesis 22, the lamb that was provided in Exodus 12, could not fulfill the everlasting covenant God made with his people. Those were points in times. But God has provided a way for us to be with him eternally through Jesus Christ the Son. Our, the only thing we have to do is repent. Repent of our sins and believe in Christ. Say, I've, I've tried my own way. I've done my thing. And it hasn't worked out. I trust in you today. I need you in my life because without you, there's no hope. Psalms 139 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. We want to be in the way of everlasting. Ezekiel 36, 26 says this, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove your old heart of stone and I will put put your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. Has your heart been changed? Has your heart ever been changed for the gospel? Are we just okay being moral people? Are we okay with trying to do the right things here and there, but never fully understanding what it means to be a true follower of Christ? True follower of Christ puts everything, their hope, their passions, their glory in the hands of the Lord. So I ask you this morning, would you do that? Here's a statement by John Piper. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord in which gathered believers 
eat bread sig- signifying Christ's body giving for his people. And drink the cup of the Lord signifying the new covenant in Christ's blood. We do this in remembrance of the Lord. And so we proclaim his death until he comes. Those who eat and drink in a worthy manner partakes of Christ's body and blood, not physically, but spiritually. And in that, by faith, they are nourished by the benefits he obtained through his death. And so we grow in grace. As we take this as believers, this is a means of grace into your life. But we got to do it in a worthy manner. We have to do it with pure hearts. We can't be fulfilling two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or you despise the one and run to the other. Who's your master this morning? Who's your master? Because you can come here on Sunday morning, but six days out of the week, live like hell. So as as the ushers come down, this is how we're going to respond this morning. We're going to respond. Exodus 12 says this. At the, at the end, when they slit the throats of the lambs and covered their doorposts, this is what it says. Listen to this. Exodus 12, 27. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. So this is what we're going to do today. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to bow our heads in response to what Jesus has done. Some of us, we're going to need to repent of any sin. We need to confess sin in our lives as for believers. For others, we need to trust Jesus today. Some of us never do not walk intimately with Jesus, and we need to trust him today. We need to trust him to be our Lord and Savior. And then lastly, we're going to worship through the Lord's Supper. So the ushers are already down. So as they they proceed to pass out the elements, just bow your head. And say these words after me. The Psalms 39 passage says this Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me into the way of everlasting. As we respond this morning, either by sitting in our chairs as, or coming down with the alakai in the front to repent of sin, to trust in Jesus, Lord, may you lead us into the way of everlasting. May you lead us to the goodness of who you are. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, if there's anything between brothers or sisters or uh, people in this congregation, may that be restored now. 
If there's any pilakia in our heart to you, any garbage, may we turn that over to you right now. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And as we stand and see, may we experience life everlasting.